It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no sheets. The land of fucking with the fear fight down. I fire in the fire, Mr. Sixth Southern Gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury, beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. Is it? It is the hour of doom. I am convinced. <laughs> I have looked at the crystal ball and it says this is the hour of doom, or at least it's the hour that we have to do our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's the hour of bloom because ah. we're giving people positive messages and information that they can use to improve their lives. Which... Or maybe save lives. That's right. That's why Save lives in the uncertain future. Which is the doom. The doom is the uncertainty and the terribleness that could always happen. Natural disasters, whatever, craziness. And the bloom is that you're prepared for it. Well, instead I just of... want to explain that one more time because right. a lot of people probably don't understand why we used doom and bloom. <laughs> That's right. Well, I... Would also say that yes. instead of terribleness, perhaps it's terribleosity. Terribleosity. One of those two. <laughs> well, hey, hey, friends hey. and neighbors, out we're there. on the air, baby. We are on the air. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a bright bastion of bravery in a barbaric world. <laughs> I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Doctor Bones of DoomandBloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts. A medical preparedness for any disaster. My co-conspirator is Nurse Amy, an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. That's me. That's right. And <laughs> together, we are the dynamic duo. We are the queen and the codger, the courageous couple, the spectacular spouses. And we're here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, <laughs> have you been injured in an accident? With an adversarial alligator, well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever they are available. Ah, but when the horde has taken the streets... When the super flu has come through, <laughs> will you know what to do? That was good. <laughs> I know, huh? Oh, my gosh. If somebody gets sick or injured, you can, you know, you can show the world you got more sense than an armoire full of artichokes <laughs> by learning what <laughs> to do for injuries. I'm running out of things to say. No, I like For her it. injuries and illnesses when a disaster hits. And while you're at it, doesn't it just make common sense, really, folks, to get some supplies and maybe a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? I sure think so. And what better way to do it than by going to the store of the lovely nurse, Amy. She has an entire line of often imitated but never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They will help you deal with medical issues that you'll face in any disaster, and they're designed by yours truly, an honest-to-gosh medical doctor, and hers truly, an advanced 
registered nurse practitioner and certified nurse midwife. Wow, she's got more initials after her name than I do. <laughs> Compare our kits for content, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff or just ask anyone who's ever bought one and you'll agree. Our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. Hey, you know, we learn as much from you as you do from us. That couldn't be more obvious. So stop <laughs> cussing, cousin, and reach out to old Dr. Bones and the lovely nurse Amy. It's easy, and here she is to tell you how. <laughs> you can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. Um, and we also have a Facebook page, a regular page, called Doom and Bloom. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, which actually has two new videos in the past week. Wow. I know. Everyone, don't fall off your chairs and hurt yourself because we're not talking about falling injuries today. <laughs> and we work. It is shocking. Yes. I know. I know. The channel is DR Bones Nurse Amy. What are our two topics? One of them was amputations in survival. And the other one is how to eliminate rodents. Rodents, right. Nasty unwanted visitors from your retreat. Yes, and you gave a very good tip. One one of your excellent tips. Actually, we got a comment from somebody who used to be in pest control. Uh-huh. He owned a business in pest control, and he said that you had excellent advice. No kidding. Yes. Wow. I know. That was his business. And uh, someone else said that, again, one of your tips was to put flour yes. on the ground mm. around where you think these rodents They're are. Scrabbling around. And check the tracks. And that's exactly what they did, and they were able to catch them because of that. Uh, well, how about Isn't that? Isn't that cool? So I'm not just it's an proven. old so-and-so after all. It's a proven, all. yes, method. How about that? But people had some really um, good suggestions and tips. Somebody wrote that they had used a, a certain type of rodent control poison uh -huh. that has formaldehyde in it now, but it doesn't smell. It's got a different chemical than it used to be, and, well, the, and they wrote the, the name of wait, it. Wait, it's not the chemical I'm worried about smelling. It's the dead rat yes. that I'm worried yes. about smelling. Yes, but apparently the chemicals used to kill them also had a terrible odor previously. Uh -huh. oh. So he gave a suggestion as to what people might want to try. Um, so it was a real nice community little chit-chat there. Well, that's the thing. You know, we are learning something every day from our listeners That's from right. our viewers from our readers and <clears throat> i hope that people don't stop doing that and should always contact us at and dr bones podcast at aol.com yep, if I they want that. if they i know you do if you, had, <laughs> if you if you I got did, something to say comment and let us know just what's going on we don't have comments on the website though because one oh day we were whacked by a wow, ukrainian. hacker the Ukra ukrainian hacker and we wound up They're in still... 30 seconds, Got we got 300,000 spam comments. But you do realize we have uh, According to a program guy. that we're not going to mention. So whoever's out ha! there trying to hack us won't try, try to specifically overcome that program. But we do have at least one program running that stops, I think, about 3,000 attempts every day into our website. I don't know what the heck it is. And the website's just educational. It's not right. like th there's no credit cards. There's no. I'm just telling personal, people to get. We're just telling people to get prepared medically. We're not telling them to overthrow the government. Wait, or anything no, no, like no. That. It has nothing to do with that. But usually, the hackers are trying to seek personal information for identity theft or credit card stealing. There's no social security numbers anywhere. There's nobody's phone number. Nobody's address. Nobody's credit card. And if they tried to use our credit card, my bank would. Stop, shut that down in two seconds. Yeah, so, so go suck an egg. I can't egg. tell you how many new credit cards I've ha gotten in the past year because they're so fast about it. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing. Somehow they know when it's not me. I don't know how they do that, but that's been pretty amazing. So oh, anyway, the whole point is, yes. is that we do have a place for you to comment and that is on our youtube channel or you can write us but if you want it to be public and you want to share some knowledge just find a, one of the videos that you know has the topic we have a lot of different videos and yeah, share point. with the class and this is what i have i've written back to people and said thank you for sharing everybody 
sharing your knowledge or, or this tip or information with everybody here in this community right. because everybody's that's had valuable experience. A lot of people read YouTube comments. They want to see what other people have to say, and that's a way to share your own thoughts with other people. And if we haven't done a YouTube video on your particular topic, you can even write a little article and send it to us. It doesn't have to be a book. Um, four or five paragraphs yep. would be great. Right. But how about? But I will say this: if you are a professional blogger, guest post stalker, oh yeah, that you well, know, no, that's just we, an advertising we, thing. We decide what makes the most sense for us. We to want, put on our website, right. and so we don't expect it's not that for advertising. Very rarely do we wind up putting guest posts. It's not for advertising. It's strictly to share information with other people. Most of these people ask us if they can do blogs, guest blogs. They're just trying to put links in there for the company they represent. They're not really writing anything. They don't care about our listeners or our readers. They just care about the person who's paying them, which is some, I don't know, Plumbing company or construction company or... Or the Russians. Or the... Oh, Maybe it's, it's the Russians. No, they're trying to give us fake the, news. Yes, that's right. Did, oh, you didn't see this. CNN actually, this is hilarious, actually went to somebody's house. This old lady. I mean, she looks like she's... I don't I shouldn't have said old, but older lady. She looks like she's maybe 70. Okay, not that I consider that old, but... For a young generation, that's an older person. Anyway, they confronted her because she shared a Facebook post from a group of Facebook that had been supposedly accused of uh, being started by Russians. Ugh, watch so what you share. So CNN showed media, up at this woman's house and said. You colluded with the Russians. Accused this uh, this who this lady who had no idea who who put this group together or this cage together, and like confronted her. So, all right, wow. Of course, well, I felt so bad for her. Thank God that this is, this show at least is a non political show. Oh, we want to thank. By the way, no, I'm I sorry. just felt bad for her. I I, I do too, actually. Uh, I want to thank the folks at KYH Utah for picking up our Survival Medicine Hour. We are now on Lambase Radio and also our friends, of course, on all the various internet stations like Prepper Broadcasting Network, USA, Emergency Broadcasting Network, Survival Central, all the other great networks that carry our program. Don't forget our other program, uh, which is called American Survival Radio. It is all about current events. We do give political opinions on that one, although we try to be practical and reasonable in in our thoughts on that show. But that show is now on at least a half a dozen other radio stations, actual land-based radio stations throughout the United States of America. So feel free to check those out. Now, last week, we were all about the shootings at Marjorie Stoneman, Stoneman Douglas High, just a few miles from our home in South Florida. But the week before, we had introduced the top. By the way, I just want to say that it, came, it comes out now that a police officer, apparently, a police deputy, what? actually was the one who called in <laughs> the, to say that there was this gunman in the school but the, he didn't actually enter the school. So where was he? In where, his car across the street? They're calling him... Uh, where was he? All sorts of names. And, but where but was he? He Do was we know? outside the school. Okay, outside right the outside car, the school. standing outside the door. What's the difference? He, was, he did not go in. Was to, he told? He did not go in to try to protect was who, the people Was he told were there. not to go in? Was he commanded not uh, to go in? We don't know that. As of yet. So that's the question. Was he ordered not to go in and to wait for the SWAT team well, to arrive? I don't know. Well. But but I have to say, as a human being, if I was a police officer, and I know I might have be, be going against commanding orders, and, and it's not his fault if he was commanded not to go in, but human instinct for me, especially if I'm a police officer, and I am usually armed, but especially if I'm a police officer, there's pretty much nothing that's going to stop me from going in and trying to save other human beings, whether they're 14, 44, or 94, I don't care, or four, I'm going in. Well, we have That's a lot just of, me, though. Yeah. I, well, I don't we know have how, how could he have restrained himself? I, I don't the, know. You know what I mean? 
Well, the bottom line is that is actually a very good point. He may have been told not to go in. If uh, any of our law enforcement friends out there, we have a lot of uh, listeners and, and a lot of respect for you guys. Apps, apps, and we have the highest respect for you. Please let us know by contacting us by email uh, at uh, Podcast at hillwell.com. Uh, if this is standard operating procedure and what I mean, your I can understand as to what's going if on. he needed to, to wait. But wow, it's one of those <sighs> things. But anyhow, the week before the shooting, we had actually introduced the topic of pregnancy issues during survival situations and how complications that are easily dealt with today could be life threatening to women. If some disaster throws us back to the 19th century medically, we talked about things like miscarriage with tubal pregnancy, the pregnancy in the tube that bursts the tube as it grows and causes internal bleeding, uh, bleeding from miscarriages, um, infection from miscarriages, infection from labor and delivery, and even the possibility of severe dehydration, which you could actually die from just from vomiting a lot, something that's pretty darn common in pregnant ladies, easily treated with IV fluids today, but that actually carried a death rate of 10% or more before we had the technology to directly give fluids in veins. I just need to interrupt you for one second. Um, I got a message from Jack Spearco. Yes. The little audio clip that you sent him as the answer, the gain was down. And I just looked at our microphone. And so I just, folks, if you're listening and it sounds a little bit louder right this second, I turned the gain back up to what we usually record this as. So there's nothing wrong with your radio. There's nothing wrong with your computer or whatever you're listening to. It was me. I did it. So I just wanted to let you guys know nothing weird has just happened to you. <laughs> Well, actually, I'm going to. I'm actually going to play one of our uh, responses to Jack, the one that uh, is on the question that I answered today. Okay. And I'm going to make sure that 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 our volume, volume is, is up. Up. Okay. up, up, up. All right, sounds good. Okay, so anyhow, so the important thing to know is that in the old days. You know, maybe an announcement of pregnancy these days is a, a occasion for joy and, and happiness, but in the old days it was an occasion for concern because not everybody survived, not every woman survived their pregnancy. It was very scary. I mean, especially at the rate that these women were having pregnancies. Oh, Each yeah, one compounded because... The right, exactly. Each one, pregnancy. each pregnancy had about a two percent chance of causing the mother to die from one complication or another. Right, and the women had about ten pregnancies on the average right. or so. Not and, all the babies survived. Right, I mean we had so oh, yeah. we've gone Surviving to old childhood. graveyards in oh, yeah. many many states in this oh, country, yeah. and the sad thing about it is, you know, the ones from the eighteen hundreds. Or the 1700s. Or even the early 1900s. So, yeah, and right when the flu came through. So many uh, two days old, one day old, you know, some that you know didn't actually breathe that, you know, they just put the one date on it for the, you know, the birth and the death. Um, two months old, two years old, so many little kids passed away from illnesses before we had antibiotics. It's it was just terrible. awful. So these pregnancies, each one of them was dangerous for the woman for the in a woman, sense. Two percent. I mean, it doesn't seem like much, but if you compound it, ten pregnancies, that's a twenty percent chance that you are going to die as a result of having a pregnancy if you're a woman. And, yeah. and that, as you can imagine, is a big issue in survival. If you lose productive members either due to illness or or death from a pregnancy complication, well, you know it really takes the the luster off the idea of multiplying be, being fruitful and multiplying at least in the oh, early absolutely. going of an, a, a, a scary true disaster now i i will say it, it is scary however most of the time and remember we're only saying you know two to four percent most of the time you're 96 and 98 percent of the time pretty much everything is normal pregnancy Right, you, you know, can, you those might are have pretty some good vomiting. Odds. Pretty you, good odds. You know, you might not feel well. Your back hurts. You know, all the all the normal, you know, illnesses that go along with pregnancy that aren't going to kill you could still happen. So most of the time, pregnancies are fine. People have babies. You know, in really 
awful places with bad water and hardly any food and and babies come out okay but we're just saying it's better not to take the chance if you don't have to immediately that's all we're saying and I, I do want to acknowledge the fact that birth is natural and most of the time everything is okay and as a nurse midwife I firmly believe most of the time everything's fine yes we just don't want our moms to have extra worries if there is some terrible survival situation but sadly I'm going to talk about when things don't go fine well I mean, and, but we are going to talk a, a little bit about how to how to evaluate and monitor a pregnancy and how to monitor a labor and a delivery. I just wanted to acknowledge and to to be vocal about the fact that most of the time the pregnancies has normal things that happen. The delivery is fine. The baby doesn't come out breech or right. it doesn't get stuck or hurt a shoulder. And the mom doesn't postpartum hemorrhage and everything's okay. Having said all that, of course, there are complications that can occur in pregnancy and in childbirth, as we mentioned, and conditions in the delivery room, of course, after a disaster, might not be so conducive to the maintenance of sterility. Matter of fact, probably impossible. Uh, Even if the delivery goes without a hitch, there's always a chance for an infection. Uh, and other uh, that's just the delivery itself. Other problems may manifest themselves in what they call the postpartum period. That's the first days or weeks after the baby is born. For example, a woman who has a hemorrhage during childbirth could be so weakened by loss of blood that she's unable to return to normal activities for a very long time. Some women will undergo a period of depression for a time. You've heard of postpartum depression, right? and have difficulty being productive members of your mutual assistance group. We don't want to think that anyone to think, as Amy said, that all women are going to die during or right after their pregnancy. We're only saying that not all survival groups have prepared to obtain the knowledge of resources and the ability to deal with the complications that could occur. The question is, if people are riding in the street and your garden isn't doing so well yet, Do you really need to add a newborn baby to your list of responsibilities? No. So what is your plan? Even long-term preppers, they haven't spent much time figuring out what, let's say, birth control method they would use. If you're not going to want a pregnancy and you understand the reasons why I don't want people to get pregnant early in the process after a society-ending disaster, well, I mean you got to figure out some way to stop from getting pregnant. I mean, what birth control method would you use for your people of reproductive age if a catastrophe takes you off the grid? I mean, have you included condoms or other some other birth control method in your bug-out bag? Probably not, even though those are indeed important medical supplies. The majority haven't, by the way, so congratulations if you did, but don't feel that you are way behind. If you didn't, you're just with everybody else. So anyhow, it's important to have things like condoms in your storage, but you have to remember that condoms can break. Even if they don't, they don't last forever. With spermicide or without spermicide, you can imagine them lasting maybe two to three years before they become sort of brittle. Diaphragms is another common method in which uh, that a common method in which you, the woman, put a rubber or latex barrier over your cervix, you put it inside your vagina over your cervix. These require chemical spermicides and those will obviously be used up pretty quickly and even the diaphragms become brittle over time. Now, some people use things called IUDs, intrauterine devices, to prevent pregnancy. And some of these use hormones that wear off over time. Usually they last a good few years, though. Uh, And the thing with IUDs is that they first have to be inserted into the body of the uterus. That's something best done by somebody that has experience so that you prevent injury and don't actually poke a hole right through the uterus. And that's what poor technique would do in these circumstances. But that actually might not be an unreasonable thing for, for uh, women to prevent pregnancy, especially if they've had babies before. Birth control pills are useful, but hey, it's difficult to get more than a few months supply at any one time. Insurance companies are so tight in their control uh, about when women can get their next pack of pills. Even if you can get them, 
They cost a bundle if you purchase them outside of insurance plans. And imagine the cost of stockpiling several years' worth. Well, that can be pretty difficult for the average person. So I want to tell you about natural family planning, or uh, the old days was called the rhythm method, but it's not just the rhythm method now. They've got a number of different things. And some people will... You'll hear a lot of home remedies. Uh, some advocate the use of lemon or lime juice as a douche prior to intercourse. And indeed, the high acid content probably would be lethal to sperm. But of course, you have to know that there could be some irritation that can occur. Uh, some actually have recommended using an actual slice of lemon or lime as a cap in the vagina, in the back of the vagina during the act of intercourse. Uh, I, I guarantee you that that will be irritating. So don't do that. Probably not a good idea. Now, it's important to know that these methods are not effective. If you use them after the sexual act, you have to have this in place beforehand. Remember, there are millions of sperm that have entered the cervix early in the process here, and they're well on their way to performing their duty. So anything you do afterwards is probably going to have minimal effect in terms of preventing a pregnancy. Now, be aware that some people have a herbal contraceptive or some other contraceptive, but not even the commercial contraceptives are 100% effective or, or, or guaranteed to have no side effects. A lot of people have side effects on the pill. Some people uh, have skin uh, rashes or acne. Some people actually, and some people feel that their birth control pill makes their skin better. Everybody is just a little bit different. So therefore, what you have to do in, in times of trouble when all this stuff is no longer available is to figure out a strategy to predict as accurately as you possibly can the fertile parts of the woman's cycle and plan to be either abstinence or really careful during these times. Now, to make these predictions, we have to go back to a traditional form of birth control that is called natural family planning, and that's the modern version of the rhythm method. Now, well, it's not as effective in preventing pregnancy as, let's say, the pill, but it is up to about 90% effective if it is implemented correctly. There's no need to put hormones in your system, no side effects, obviously, because you're not taking anything, and natural family planning is a pretty time-honored method to help prevent pregnancy, and if it would fit in well with pretty much any strategy for long-term survival. Uh, natural fam family planning involves trying to figure out your fertile period and avoiding unprotected intercourse during that time. Now, this method works best on women who have regular menstrual cycles. Cycles are predictable. If a woman releases an egg for fertilization, that's called ovulation, on a monthly basis uh, or on a cyclical basis that if you and your or your partner have 28 day menstrual cycles for example you can bet that ovulation is number one occurring and that it probably is occurring on a predictable in a predictable fashion uh, a pregnancy is likely in any couple that's having regular sexual relations as a matter of fact so likely that 80 to 85 percent of couples can expect a pregnancy within the first year of a societal collapse if they're not careful. Well, they're trying a lot, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just want to mention uh, one more little detail about ovulation is that you actually drop an egg 14 days before you start bleeding. And so if you have a cycle, <clears throat> excuse me, that's, say, 34 days, and they're regularly 34 days apart, then you're going to subtract 14 from the 34 days. So you're going to be in ovulation fertile on the 20th day. Starting from the first day you bleed, you count those days. So that's when you start to get a feeling that maybe your ovulation is not in the middle of your cycle, but it's a little further towards the end. <clears throat> Again, you drop an egg 14 days before you bleed. And the reason you bleed 14 days later is because if you didn't get pregnant, your body recognizes that. The egg disintegrates in about disintegrates. 24 to 48 hours if right. it's not fertilized. Exactly. You only got a short little window that that egg is fertile. But if it didn't get fertilized, your body says, oh, we need to start over. So it will shed the lining that it built up to have a pregnancy embed in the uterus. 
after the egg got fertilized, it burrows into that thick little lining. If that didn't happen, then there's no reason to have that lining. So your body sheds that lining, which is your menstrual cycle, and it starts over. And so you can know around when you ovulate by getting an idea of first day of bleeding to the next first day of bleeding and then counting backwards 14 days. Right. Now, the thing is, is that that is most predictive when you have a certain number of days in between cycles or in between periods that are pretty much about the same. So if you have 28 day cycles, which everybody says a lot of generally people, generally right, right let's say it's a, it's then a you common. can be pretty sure that on day 14 right. if you count the first day of your right. period is the day number one that day 14 you're probably going to be ovulating now there are other ways that you can identify when you or your partner uh are fertile is, is ovulating right when it's time and, to go <laughs> right and, and this uh, from a low-tech standpoint there are high-tech ways to do it but in a from a low-tech standpoint this involves taking your temperature with a thermometer daily for a few cycles and getting an idea when the ovulation occurs. Now, there are special thermometers used for this purpose called basal body temperature thermometers. And the, Although I think any well, it, it, any, thermometer, any thermometer would be okay. <clears throat> but the reason you use the basal body thermometer is because it goes up in such tiny increments that you can see the point ones. So... A 73.1 or a 92.3. Right. You can actually see so directly exactly what your temperature is because I'm sure you're going to talk about the raise in the temperature. Right. We'll talk about it right now. When you ovulate, your basal body temperature goes up by about half a degree and it stays up for at least a few days or maybe uh, as you until you start closing in on the actual period. Right. You can make a graph or chart of the daily temperatures and you'll see that pattern my, develop. I did this for my first child. How about that? And I got pregnant the first month. What was the day that you got I, uh, I, ovulated, you think? That um, your temperature I didn't up? ovulate until I had very long cycles. I don't think I ovulated until the 20-something day. But what happened was I was running about 97 right in there and then I went up to over 98 I think I went up to like Uh 98.3 and so I had a nice little it almost looks like a heartbeat yeah it goes goes up and so I said oh this must be it (laughs) because I was waiting and waiting I have very irregular cycles I was like crazy irregular it was the only way I could figure out when would be good, and I have my oldest daughter because of that. Well, see, there you go. <laughs> and basically, if you are able to monitor your temperature for a, a two or three cycles, you can get a feel for when that ovulation will occur. And once you've done that for a few cycles, then you can make plans to either be abstinent or to be especially careful during the days that you're ovulating. If you're ovulating on day 14, for example, counting day number one as the first day of the period, well, then I would, for at least two days beforehand, two days afterwards, be very, very special. That's a narrow window. Maybe even longer. I have to say, I would probably expand that window a little bit. Three days plus or minus, four days? Yeah, three or four days at least, because those sperm... Have been known to last forty-eight a hours while. or so. Yeah, maybe even a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> Those suckers last a while. So, unfortunately, if you have intercourse and then get, you know, ovulate a couple days later, and you didn't know you were going to ovulate a couple days later, um, those soldiers are still waiting there. Yep. To attack the egg. Ambush the (laughs) egg. Attack the egg. The poor egg. Those armies, they don't give up easily. That's right. (laughs) Oh, I I wanted to mention you have to make sure you take your temperature at at the same time every day. Yes. And the time. temperature does change. But the time you take your temperature is absolutely 100% before you get out of bed, before you take a sip of water, before you take a sip of coffee, before you get up to go pee. When you open your eyes, you stick the thermometer in your mouth. Don't move. Once you start moving around, you can raise your temperature a little bit. So before you get out of bed, you check your temperature every single time. That's when you do it. 
Now, besides temperature, there are other cyclical changes that can give you an idea of when you're ovulating. And one of them is the way the cervical mucus looks and the, the nature of the cervical mucus. Your cervix actually exudes a, a mucus that changes based on the course it, of the like menstrual slimy. cycle. Well, okay. it, it's well, wait, not, not yet. I mean, there, it's only slimy at certain times. Right. To use this method, you have to understand how cervical secretions change during a typical cycle. Generally, you'll see either little or no cervical secretions for the first few days after the period starts. Stops, right. 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 Now, you said started, I said stopped. Okay, well, in any case. But but as the same period, it was in the first 10 days. Right. Right. (laughs) As things progress, then you you have sticky, sort of thick secretions that are pretty tough to actually call slimy. I would they would be more like mucus, like what Sticky. if you if you, a if you word. coughed up some phlegm, it would be more like These that. These are such beautiful descriptions. Right. But what As, we're talking about is a clear mucus that you can put between your fingers and when you spread your fingers, it won't snap. It'll uh, it'll be stretchy. <laughs> As ovulation occurs, the the mucus, cervical mucus, becomes more clear and watery in nature. And, of course, uh, then after you're done ovulating, then the cervical secretions uh, actually become thick again. Now, the reason why during ovulation the cervical secretions become clear and watery is to allow sperm to have an easier time swimming up into the area to fertilize. Remember, the purpose is to procreate Mm -hmm. and so therefore that's that's what your body wants wants you to do is to be if you're going to be fertile they want you to uh, uh, replenish the population now now you can obtain how you may say well how the hell am i going to get cervical mucus now you can obtain a sample of cervical mucus by gently placing two glove fingers into the vagina all the way to the cervix the neck of the womb and it's going to feel, uh, by the way, the cervix feels like a firm projection at the end of the vagina, almost like a nose. Um, you examine the mucus, you take the, your, your fingers out, and cervical mus- mucus, when not ovulating, if you spread your fingers, it's going to cause it to snap. Now, during ovulation, if you spread two mucus-laden fingers, it causes this more watery mucus to stretch significantly before breaking. So that's important. Always make sure, by the way, you wash your hands thoroughly before an exam. <laughs> Have an ample supply of gloves. And don't forget the don't. nitrile gloves in just in case uh, your patient or you are allergic to latex. So perform correctly. The natural planning method is actually pretty effective and, uh, and natural way to prevent pregnancy. And survival scenarios is going to allow you to decide when things are stable enough to bring a newborn into the world. Now, of course, despite all the best efforts to prevent pregnancy... It happens. It happens. The best laid plans of mice and men sometimes go awry. And whether by accident or by or on purpose, you may find yourself responsible for the care of a pregnant lady in your survival group. It's important to know how to support that pregnancy and eventually deliver that baby in a healthy manner for not only the baby, for for the mother. You won't have access to ultrasound technology to take a look at the fetus, whether it's a boy or a girl, is going to once again become a mystery, only solved at birth itself. Now, (laughs) twins, by the way, or even twins may be a surprise in those kinds of situations. Now, without pregnancy megavitamins, babies are going to be smaller at birth. And you know what? That might not be so bad since cesarean section is not going to be a something that you will be using in a mother that you expect to survive. Uh, it's very traumatic for a mother to go through a cesarean. It's also very traumatic to deliver a 10-pound baby. And so if we wind up going back to delivering a 7-pound baby or a 6.5-pound baby, well... Maybe not such a bad thing. Now, despite all the possible complications that I mentioned in the pre- in previous part of the show, pregnancy is still a natural process. It'll proceed, with, as Amy said, without major complications. It ends in the delivery of a normal baby. Although your pregnant patient may not be as productive for the survival group as she would ordinarily be if she weren't pregnant, 
could probably still be able to contribute and make your efforts a success. And to make that pregnancy a success, you're going to have to have a little knowledge of the subject and an idea of how to deliver the fetus. And so this is going to be the subject for our next week's talk, one of the topics that we'll talk about. But I do want to talk about something else, and that is anxiety and depression in times of trouble. We are very lucky to be uh, friends with Jack Spierko, who has his very popular show, The Survival Podcast, and we are the medical experts for his, what he calls the expert council, where we get letters regarding various medical issues from some of his re- uh, listeners as well as our own. And this one is about a problem that will occur in any long-term survival setting, and that is anxiety and depression in tough times. So listen in as the old Dr. Bones tackles a problem that every caregiver faces at some point or another, even in good times. Hi, Joe Alton, MD here, also known as Dr. Bones of the top survival medicine website, doomandbloom.net. Also, Block Talk Radio's Survival Medicine Hour and co-author of the 2017 Book Excellence Award winner in medicine, the third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Health is Not on the Way. This week's question for the expert counsels, Dr. Bones, comes from Dean, who writes... In the midst of a widespread disaster, some people are not able to psychologically cope with all the various changes and stresses that come with loss, and whether the losses of comfort, material goods, health, or relationships. These people may decide that running away, ending their own life, or harming a member of their group or family is an acceptable way to cope. How can the modern survivalist identify and prepare for this type of psychological threat? Here's my background. When I was deployed to Djibouti, Easily one-third of our casualties were psychological in nature. Our supply officer stabbed himself in the thigh. Our flight surgeon started stealing and using Ativan because of a Dear John letter, and many other soldiers and sailors would come into the field hospital for substance abuse, injuries from fights, etc. This all happened in a relatively calm area. Plenty of food, no active combat, telephone communications, etc. And if it happens there... I would expect it would happen even more in a local community that experiences a significant disaster. How can I prepare my family for this aspect of a you-know-what-hits-a-fan situation or more likely just the run-of-the-mill stresses that happen to us, such as the loss of a family member, job loss, illness, social media bullying, a depressed economy, etc.? Thank you, Dean. Dean, anxiety and depression are the constant companion of the disaster survivor, especially if thrown into an off-grid setting. You may, as the medic, have to deal with injuries from the occasional gunfight at the OK Corral, but they won't be the daily issue, at least I hope they won't, that the care of the depressed or anxious will be. The fact that your unit was beset by a number of psychological cases in an area that was not an active combat zone suggests to me that uncertainty may have played a role there, and no doubt will play a role in a long-term survival setting. In survival, the uncertainty is pretty basic. Where is my next meal coming from? Will I get sick from drinking from a local water source? Is there someone on the way that wants to take our food and supplies? Do I have the skills of medicine to care for a sick individual? When will society restabilize? if ever. In Djibouti, the uncertainty wasn't the type that you might expect in an active combat zone where there might be a sniper in a house or an IED on the road, although I don't know how you can ever be sure of that. I would expect that the uncertainty and loss of control about what's happening at home would lead to a heck of a lot of anxiety and depression. I'm not sure about the supply officer stabbing himself in the thigh like Charlie Sheen did in Platoon. Is that still a way to get a ticket home these days? You have to tell me. The idea of waiting around to be sent into the field might also be a factor in making some people anxious, irritable, or depressed, which certainly can lead to substance abuse, which was a major issue in Vietnam, and more than a few physical altercations among young men with a lot of testosterone coursing through their veins. In survival, some aspects may be similar, but the sense of loss is linked to more concrete things. Our fighting men have a home to go to, but the same may not be said for the survivors of a major long-term disaster. The loss of basic conveniences that we take for granted, for example, such as electricity, the loss of modern medical care, the loss maybe of a roof over your head, plays a part. Stress is not always bad, by the way. Facing challenges can make you stronger. Who makes it and who doesn't will depend on their resilience. 
their education, their training, their experience. All this is essential, but resilience or the lack of it is a factor that I believe assures success or failure. A person's tendency to overcome adversity is partly nature and partly nurture, I think. Could this ability be inherited? And certainly some children warm up to new tasks or people more effectively than others. Yet, there are many factors that play a part. Family support, financial status, quality of schooling, various other things come into play. An unemployed introvert is at a psychological disadvantage when compared to the monetarily secure individual who belongs to a close family or active religious or social community. Despite this, I believe that it is possible to increase your ability and your family's ability to overcome adversity through a disciplined approach. You can, one, learn to regulate and control your emotions. You can adopt a realistic but positive attitude. You can become physically fit and you can help develop a supportive community. Let's talk a little bit about emotions and attitude. If you can control feelings of anger, fears, insecurity, and sadness, you can maintain a clear head in times of trouble. Oftentimes, people interpret a negative event as being worse than it is. Studies at Columbia University show that people who intentionally reappraise an event, such as, let's say, a rejected job application, as being less negative, actually increase the activity of the part of the brain that helps to plan and direct. Reappraisal seems to inhibit the activity of the part of the brain that's involved in feelings of fear. Study participants reported a stronger sense of well-being after adopting this strategy, which I call looking for the silver lining in the storm cloud. This glass-half-full approach could be useful everywhere from the athletic field to the workplace to the hospital room, and yes, to the disaster setting. Those people with the ability to find a neutral or positive interpretation of a negative event tend to live longer and have a better quality of life than those that don't. In another study that was performed many years ago, a group of women were asked to write a life history. These were rated according to the degree in which they expressed positive emotions. 34% of those who wrote negative histories were alive after 80 years of age, but 90% of the women who wrote positive histories were alive after 80 years of age. This is all great. You don't have to be a psychiatrist to know what a positive and can-do attitude will do, but in survival scenarios, too sunny an attitude could lead to denial of negative events and inaction when action is needed. You have to have a realistic approach. You might underestimate dangerous situations Realism and positivity have to strike a balance. Now, I want to say something about physical exertion. It's well known that physical activity increases the feel-good substances in your brain known as endorphins. A lot of people know about this and improves your resilience. This is good, but only if the physical activity leads to a positive goal. In normal times, it's to get fit, right? Get that six-pack. In survival, it's to increase your chances of doing well in troubled times. There are some types of exertion, though, that aren't so great, like Dodging bullets, you don't get much benefit from that other than not getting shot. Physical exertion also inhibits a stress hormone that's known as cortisol. Regular physical activity is not only good for your heart, but studies at the University of Colorado show that regular aerobic exercise has other benefits as well. A decrease in anxiety and depression, believe it or not, and an improvement in attention span, decision-making, and memory. How about that? And also, how about a sense of community? An effective strategy to improve your ability to overcome adversity is to establish and maintain strong relationships with other members of the community, maybe even the preparedness community. A sense of security due to support from others allows you to deal with stressful events positively. It has even been shown to lower ill effects suffered in veterans from post-traumatic stress disorder. Supportive community bolsters self-confidence, provides a safety net that minimizes the damage from failure. And social bonds are the glue that will keep us together in dark times. Make an effort to develop these now by joining your religious community, social organizations, or otherwise connecting with like-minded individuals. Now, you may think you're connected well to others, but I would like you to ask yourself some questions. Who do you interact with regularly? Who would help you in times of trouble without hesitating? Who would you help in times of trouble without hesitating? Who do you turn for advice who's glad to give it? And who do you know who has bounced back 
from adversity themselves. If your answer to all these questions is nobody, well, you know, your chances to stay on an even keel after a disaster drop. And I think precipitously. Spend some time and effort to develop new and stronger relationships. That is going to be key. We have to be prepared to deal with setbacks if you know what hits the fan. If we can see negative events as a bump on the road instead of the end of the road, we can succeed even if everything else fails. This is Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health in good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Hey, do your family a big favor by getting more medically prepared with kits and supplies from Nurse Amy's entire line at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net. You'll be glad you did. Oh, don't forget that the Member Support Brigade gets a special coupon code for discounts off anything in our store. Oh, I would like to mention that we have a current events podcast called American Survival Radio, which is a proud member of the Genesis Communications Network and carried on various land-based radio networks throughout the country. You can find our show site at GCNlive.com, right next to Alex Jones. There you have it, my thoughts on anxiety and depression, a major issue and something that you'll see much more often than hostile encounters, at least Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> I know. Well, I would much rather people have anxiety than have issues with guns. Absolutely. But I think your answer was excellent. Good job. Well, thank you very much. You know, we are pretty much out of time. I just want to say that we're going to be in Mesquite, Texas in March, I think. Yep. I believe that's uh, 23rd the, and 24th. For the Self-Reliance Expo. We'll be talking there and giving a... a I think a suture class. On Friday the 23rd. Exactly. And it's, I think, a Friday-Saturday show. And it's going to be one of the few survival shows. A lot of of, uh, the preparedness shows are sort of going... Slowing down. They're slowing down as a result of people being a little less concerned due to our having uh, a conservative president, it seems. So... Although, I will say we're going to have to start worrying a little bit about some gun control issues, maybe. Yes, so. and maybe North Korea might be a bit, a little bit of an issue, and China, and they're Russia, act up and again. Iran. And as soon as the Olympics are done, they're going to act up again. Absolutely, it's they're, going to be. They're going to, to take be. that idea. Well, I want to say one more thing. April 28th and 29th, we're going to be in Asheville, um, North Carolina. And May 5th and 6th, we're actually going to be at an RK prepper show in southern Atlanta, south side of Atlanta. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton. We'll be back next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. To contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.